Our special guest this week is Alexis Meads, who has her master's from Harvard University and tells us a loving and genuine story about not giving up on a relationship with her now husband because he was undecided about having children. After getting to know each other and discovering more about how meaningful their relationship was with each other, she finally ends up telling us that he did actually want to have children and they didn't jump to any conclusions and they decided that communication and making the choice to have that connection for love was more important than anything else. Her mission is to help women to date with more ease and joy, less fear and anxiety. Cannot wait to share this episode with you this week and tune in this coming Friday where it'll be a mini solo episode from me talking about the battle between the heart, the head, and your gut instinct when it comes to a new relationship. Before we get into today's episode, I have a big ask for you guys. Please head on over to iTunes, Spotify, or iHeartRadio, and any other podcast platform that you guys are listening on, and leave us a five-star review, plus some feedback for us. It really helps get the message of the BBR podcast out to more people. I know that a couple new countries have tuned in since the last time we checked. China and Ireland are now all on board with the Authentic Dating Podcast. And it would really, really, really help us um, share the message of the BBR podcast with more people. So uh, without further delay, let's get into today's episode with Alexis Meads. Welcome to the Believe, Be Real, Be Bold podcast for authentic dating. My name is Dave Glazer, online personal trainer and obsessed with the Enneagram personality assessment. After going through a couple of breakups in 2017, I came across some really inauthentic people when dating in Denver. And instead of getting frustrated, I decided to create a community of authentic people myself. Come along with me on this path to authenticity as we welcome expert guests and real-life daters to share their tools, tips, and knowledge to help you show up as your most authentic self. Hey guys, welcome back to the BBR Podcast. I'm ecstatic to introduce my special guest today, Alexis Mead. How are you? I'm doing great, Dave. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. Um, I've gotten to know you a little bit throughout the research that I've been doing, and I came across the fun fact that you're a Harvard grad. Yes. Yes, that is a fun fact that I don't actually often share, but Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's true. Congratulations. That's not an easy accomplishment at all, so uh, congratulations. Yeah, Yeah, I'm one of those rare people that enjoy school. I like doing papers and research and all that stuff, but (laughs) yeah, that's way in the past right now. <laughs> yeah, we couldn't be more opposite there. I, I chose exercise science because there was more oh, yeah. squats and lunges than writing. Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then um, how long have you been in Oregon and what took you out to that side of the, the best coast is what they call it. Yeah. So I, um, I'm from Philadelphia originally. Um, I lived in Boston for, for some time in my 20s. And when I finished, um, I actually went to Harvard for graduate school. So I went, when I finished the graduate program, it was in environmental studies and, um, and uh, kind of environmental management for businesses as well. So I felt like the West Coast might be a better, better place to start with that. So I actually had first moved out to Hawaii. Um, did some reforestation projects there, met someone from Portland, just a friend of mine, and um, she spoke highly of it. I wasn't quite sure where I was going to land on the West Coast. I hadn't really been that many places, but Portland felt doable, and I just said, no, I was kind of you know, up to, up to adventure and spontaneous at the time in my life, so I just chose Portland, moved with my 
red suitcase and no job or no place to live yet and kind of made a life for myself here. And that was in 2012, January 1st, New Year's Day of 2012 when I moved. So, yeah. Okay. Awesome. And how is it that you ended up um, coaching people on finding love in their life? How, what was that journey for me to get here? Yeah. The transition yeah. from environmental science <laughs> to the science of the heart. <laughs> yeah. It certainly was not a straight line. Actually, when I got my first job in Portland, um, that was more in the environmental field. I wasn't overly happy with it. So just for fun, I started doing some online programs for Ayurvedic counseling, which is, um, kind of a holistic healing study that, uh, comes from India and wellness coaching. So that was just like, I need something, you know, for, for myself, that was a little deeper than this job I was in. So I was studying that. And then, um, I ended up quitting my job later that year. And my husband and I found, well, he's, he wasn't my husband at that time. We hadn't met not too long ago, but we were going to be moving actually back to Boston for two years. So instead of getting another full-time job, I was certified um, in this wellness coaching and Ayurvedic counseling, I thought, well, why don't I just, and I was a Reiki practitioner as well. I figured, why don't I just start seeing clients? I did some energy work, cleanses with clients, kind of just on the side dabbling in it. But I found that I had a knack for listening to people and people would just naturally like share their, their stuff with me. And I'd end up giving them exercises like, why don't you, you know, write down 10 things you're grateful for tonight? Or why don't you kind of use this psychology principle or whatever? Um, so it evolved from there to getting my life coaching certification. And over the years, I found myself more and more focused around self-love rather than um, wellness specifically, self-love. And from the self-love piece, transitioning into relationships. Because most of my clients who came to me who wanted to work on self-love, a lot of their end goal was either to be in a relationship or they were in a relationship and wanted to be happier in their relationship and more fulfilled. And what passion inside of you drives you to continue to do it uh, day after day, year after year? Mm -hmm. And then what joy do you get out of it? Yeah, you know, I mean, there's ups and downs with anything, um, especially with owning your own business. There can be ups and downs. And I think what still drives me is I've, I've had times where it's definitely been a challenge with clients, but I've always had those clients that have come back or had a breakthrough session just said, you know, like, I so appreciate you. Or I had a client recently who comes to my home actually tell me, she's like, this is the only place I feel safe. And that like things like that just warm my heart so much where I really feel like I'm making a difference, even if it's, you know, just one person. Um, and because I was originally more interested in the environment and it is actually so big passion of mine. I volunteer for the organization tree sisters. I, I love that stuff. So I had to kind of figure out for myself, like, what's the bigger meaning for me doing this love coaching? Because I don't want to just help people with their Tinder profiles. Like, that's, that's not what I do. Um, <laughs> There's so much more than that. <laughs> yes. And um, I, asked, I have a, a friend who's an astrologer, and he had recently told me that in terms of astrology, that the world's biggest challenge, you know, whether anyone listening believes in astrology or not, I don't know, but that the world's biggest, cha biggest challenge right now is relationships. And you can see it, you know, manifesting in all different ways. And I think that when I thought about it, I'm like, yes, like, you know, relationship with ourselves, relationship with a spouse, dating, friendships, all of those relationships. Like if you don't have that love connection, that fulfillment, then it affects other parts of the world too, other parts of our lives, even, even the environment. So for me, I realized that even though, you know, dating or relationships to some people might sound shallow, but there's really a much greater need for it and um, a deeper meaning. 
in it as well. Mm-hmm. What is the importance and um, why do you focus on nightly gratitude? What are your clients supposed to get from that? <laughs> you know, I wouldn't say that I focus on that actually anymore. It was probably one of those things I kind of started with and found myself myself doing. Um, but there is there is something to say about gratitude being related to joy. And, and I don't think we can fake gratitude. I don't think gratitude comes by saying you should be grateful or there's, you know, some of us maybe grew up, like my mom used to say things like finish your dinner. There's kids starving in Africa and things like that. You should be grateful for what you have. And I just don't think we come to gratitude that way. Sometimes we actually come to gratitude through struggle. Um, so if you find that doing prayer or writing down a list is helpful for you, great. Um, it might come to you in other ways. Uh, we, as a family, my husband, and then we have an almost four-year-old son and a six-month-old who doesn't participate yet. But when we start dinner, we go around and we say what we're thankful for. And that's not something I grew up doing, but it's just something that I learned in Hawaii. Whenever we'd start a meal, we'd thank the animals, the plants, you know, the person who prepared the meal for having that meal for us. So I like to start all of our meals that way, something we're thankful for. And it's really become like a, a lovely practice, you know, for myself and my family, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even in the worst of times, we can, we can probably pick out three things to be grateful for. And in the manifestation kind of a philosophy or mm-hmm. practice, you really are building upon layer upon layer upon layer of gratitude. Mm-hmm. And it can change around your entire life if it's a daily practice. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it resh- it definitely shifts your focus for sure. From the negative to the positive, and that's a that's a big foundation of self love, wouldn't you agree? Shifting from the negative to the positive. Yeah, absolutely, and being yeah. grateful for being mm-hmm. grateful for your health on mm-hmm. just the simplest level that can be yeah. a great foundation of loving yourself. Absolutely, I think self love to me is is composed of that self acceptance of you know shifting like you said to the positive. If you have health, like being grateful for that. Um, being grateful that you can go out running, even when you're telling yourself, oh, like, I don't want to go for a run. And then self-love sometimes also might be a little bit disciplined with yourself too. Like if you're raising a child, you know, they might want to, my son, I mean, he would happily eat chips or candy, you know, every night and, and watch TV. So I have to be the one sometimes saying like, no, you're going outside or no, we're eating you have to eat this piece of spinach. And sometimes that's what we do when we love someone. So sometimes we have to do that piece for ourselves too. As you know, in health, you sometimes have to have that discipline of this is the food that's good for me going for a run and the acceptance of, I'm so grateful to have my health and, you know, um, acceptance of where we are at this point in time. With how crucial relationships are in the world nowadays, <laughs> how has Hollywood actually affected our imagery around relationships and finding the perfect person? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, I mean, I think of, you know, when I was growing up, I had all of those really classic Disney movies is what I kind of grew up with of there's a princess, you meet a prince happily ever after movies over. And now I'm not a, a big media binger. I don't even keep up with, I don't keep up with Hollywood. I don't keep up with the news very well. It's just, it's just not my thing. But I do have an opinion around it. And I will say that I think it, what it's done is it's shaped these unrealistic expectations of what it means to be a part of an authentic, committed, and loving relationship. And we see it all the time. I mean, in Hollywood, like I said, I don't follow celebrities or anything like that. But you still see, I mean, two of the most beautiful 
people in the world, possibly, who are so unhappy in their relationships. Maybe they seem like they have this perfect fairy tale wedding and then they're divorced six months later. I mean, it happens all the time. So you think, okay, well, if it's not just being really attracted to someone or being with someone who you might think this is the perfect person, or if you saw their face on a Tinder profile, it's like, oh my God, you know, like Michael, I'm so attracted to this person or, or how would the world view me if I was with this person? I would look so good. Maybe that's part of it. If that's not the key to a lasting relationship, then there's something that we're missing from Hollywood's perception. And I think that's, you know, what you share as well with the authenticity. Like there's, there's a deeper layer that people are, are missing now to actually be in the relationship they're saying they want. And what do you think it is? What do you, what do you, in your opinion, what's the deeper layer um, that people should pay attention to? Hmm. It's such a good question because there's so there could be so many different answers to this question. And and I don't want to say that I have the perfect answer, right? Because I don't know if there is one. I mean, to some extent, to relationships, um, love, the heart is, is a bit of a mystery. That being said, I think today, especially in dating apps and things are so prevalent, people are looking for, they're feeling unfulfilled in themselves or other parts of their lives. So they're looking to find that perfect person, what they deem as a perfect person, to make them feel better about themselves, to make them feel complete. Maybe they may want to make other people feel jealous. Maybe they don't even know that, but it's kind of an ego thing coming up. Um, they're swiping crazily through Tinder, you know, getting those hits of dopamine, feeling a sense of emptiness from it, but but addicted to it in a way of looking for that perfect person. And it's usually very shallowly based. It's usually very looks based. If you go out on a few dates, um, oftentimes you know, my clients will admit to me that they're, they're looking for the faults right away. What's wrong with this person? Because they can go back on a dating app and find someone else. So I think the deeper thing is we're looking so surface level now that we're not realizing what's feeling empty within ourselves, being able to be present with that and finding a way to fill that. And then when you come together with a, a partner, there's, I don't believe there's such thing as a perfect partner, but when you come together with a partner that, um, you know, might be a great fit for you, opening your heart and being vulnerable to them, like their faults included and letting them see the same and having like this dual commitment to growing together, to I don't want to say making the relationship work because some aren't supposed to, but if you're committed to the relationship, you're committed to growing together and improving the relationship. I think that's the deeper, the deeper thing that's missing. Uh, I completely agree. So mm -hmm. growth mindset kind of leads us to long-term lasting love is more of a choice than a feeling. I think so. Mm -hmm. And the I choices, so. uh, the choices that we make every single day are what, proves it to ourselves that we're capable of love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. in a way that can do a lot of good for our self-worth and our, the foundation of self-love is if we make that choice every single day that aligns with our values mm -hmm. so yes. that we can be happier long-term. Right. Right. Absolutely. Um, when you said it's more of a choice than just a feeling, I was actually just talking to a client about this the other day. And I said, you know, obviously other than talking to so many people about this, the way I've come to that in my own life is when I was really young and, you know, fell so hard in love for the first time with someone I thought was, was perfect. And in some ways, you know, he really was to me in my eyes when I was 18, 19 years old. Um, and I found them attractive and it was, you know, that amazing feeling. 
And if even that could shift with this person, we were together on and off for about four to five-ish years. If at times in the relationship, I just felt like, I just, I'm not feeling it or I'm not attracted to them or I'm bored. And then, you know, then the feeling might come back at times in a relationship. But I said, if even in that time when I was so in love, so attracted to them, so young and hopeful, if there was times that same person, I could feel like, I don't know, you know, I'm not really feeling attracted to them. Nothing changed about them. Then to me that showed, this is a feeling and the feeling might come and go. Attraction might even come and go. And, and that's okay. And when we still make the choice every single day to be committed and to be authentic and to focus on ourselves, Mm -hmm. um, because it starts with us, Mm -hmm. then we have uh, more success in a long-term relationship. Mm -hmm. Yep. I think so. Absolutely. I think those are a few key pieces of the puzzle that I've put together over the last shoot. Now it's year, a year and a half of hosting the podcast and Uh um, I couldn't be more grateful for the community of people like yourselves to come and actually spend time with me talking about it. <laughs> Cause um, I may be a tad um, obsessed with modern relationships. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we chose the foundation and the, the platform of authenticity for a good reason, because authenticity starts with us. Mm-hmm. And is there a piece of authenticity that, uh, that hinges and is kind of dependent on transparency? On transparency, mm-hmm. tell me just a little bit first before I answer the question. What do you mean when you say transparency? Yep, and I think that that's why I ask because um, because we're going to be able to challenge each other here on this topic. Yeah. But transparency is not airing out all your dirty laundry in the first three dates, right? Mm-hmm. Transparency mm-hmm. is in a healthy way communicating what your needs, desires, um, goals are for the relationship when you're with somebody else. And then also transparency includes not lying by omission. Hmm. Mm -hmm. And I I bring up that because it'll segue into my next question. But if any thoughts came up for you when I describe transparency, uh, what would you, what would you come back at me with? With transparency? Mm -hmm. No, I think, I think the first two things you said, I completely agree with that transparency doesn't necessarily mean giving all the details about your life or your exes or everything on the first few dates, right? Because there is something to be said to me about old fashioned romance. And a little bit of that starts with some mystery. Like you have to kind of build a little bit of mystery there, I think, to kind of build the, the attraction and the fun in the beginning of a relationship. That being said, you know, I, of course, a lot of clients now, because there is social media, there's so much transparency, have said, well, at what point, you know, might I want to say, like, what are your goals? Like, are you looking for a long-term relationship? And I do think that's important. I mean, there's got to be a point where you want to say, okay, I'm not going to play games with, with someone. I mean, there's, like I said, you want to have some romance and mystery, but you also want to feel comfortable enough with someone and allow them to feel comfortable in return to share what they're looking for in life, you know, what they want from a partner, what they want from a relationship. And you don't need to, to make it like, I'm looking for a relationship or else goodbye, you know, if we're not on the same page, but it might be, you know, this is, these are my goals. Um, Maybe I would like to get married someday with the right person and kind of share with that, what that might be like. And with my husband, that was really important for us in the early stages of our relationship. We, at some point, I don't know, maybe a few months in, started having more of these conversations. I can still remember telling me that he didn't want to have, have kids. And I, and I knew I did. He had been married once before. Um, And 
you know, I was worried about that. Like, but if I had immediately just said, you know what, screw this person, goodbye, we're on the wrong page, then it wouldn't have led to the amazing marriage we have now and us having two beautiful children, which he turned out he did really want. He was just, he was just afraid mm-hmm. after having gone through a divorce a few years before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So fear is something that holds us back, holds mm-hmm. all of us back in relationships. What was it about the safe space that you guys created together that allowed him to be open to something new, like having kids with you? That's a really good question. I mean, I think that safe space is so important because I think what happens is we say, okay, well, I want to be vulnerable. And we expect maybe to be in transparency that we can share certain things with someone else. But then if they were to share certain things with us that trigger us, we all have different kinds of reactions, right? We might shut down. We might get angry with a person. We might um, criticize them for their thoughts or beliefs. So I think creating that space is really, you know, letting, showing someone, not letting them know, but actually with your actions, showing them that when they tell you something, even if it's something that maybe they're a little bit worried to share with you, that you are a safe person to share that with. And that might just be listening, like hold, biting your tongue for a little bit, even if you don't agree with their point of view, biting your tongue made for a little bit and showing them that you are willing to listen and have a mature adult conversation about it without just triggers and reactions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. M- men are fixers. They love to help fix. And, and I, I have to learn how to bite my tongue, as you said it, um, when, I'm, when I'm having an authentic conversation with somebody else, because yeah. maybe the, I don't know the needs of the other person. I'm a tad intuitive and I'm um, fairly em- empathic, but I can't read minds. So yeah. simply just understanding where they're coming from in order mm-hmm. to be understood from my point of view as well. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah. That's something my husband's always said. He's like, I'm not a mind reader, you know, like if, and sometimes women do this, right. We say, well, you should have known. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, no one should have known. I mean, you, you can't know unless you share with them how you're feeling or your expectations or what you want. So yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I, I bring up the transparency as being a part of authenticity because, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have a philosophy that says, in various stages of a relationship, there are some things that are okay to keep to yourself. Mm, mm -hmm. And what do you mean by that? I I love the perspective if Mm -hmm. I'm thinking the same way that you are and I can't read your mind. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I will preface it with, because you use the phrase lying by omission, right? So I will preface by saying that in earlier relationships in my life, um, I definitely had lied by omission, right? And maybe that was just a learning I had to go through. But when I entered into the marriage with my husband, I found myself going back to that pattern of lying by omission. And it just felt, it made me almost feel ill. Like it just felt so wrong. And I would ask people for advice and some would say, you know, you don't, why don't you just keep that to yourself? You don't need to share that. And I just felt like I couldn't, like I had to share it, even though I knew it was going to be rocky territory. Right. And being able to do that, even though it did bring up some stuff for us, but it evolved our relationship. And I, I realized with him, you know, I'm not going to lie by omission. I don't, I don't feel that's right in a relationship. But I do struggle a little bit with, in different stages of relationships, not everything needs to be shared. And you might ask yourself, what does that look like for you? So in a stage of relationship, the first few dates, like we mentioned, maybe that's, you know, I'm just going to get to know this person. I don't need to share everything about my goals yet or my, my past history. Maybe when you're married, like I have an aunt 
um, who her husband, like three, 40 years later, has never seen her without without makeup on or something. And to me, I'm like, that's crazy. You know, like, how's that vulnerability? But at the same time, there's part of me that's like, there's something kind of romantic about that. Like she, she cares about, you know, 40, they're in their seventies now, like how she looks to her husband because they're in love. So it's going to be different for each couple. That was just like kind of a silly example for me to share, but there might be things like that in your marriage that you feel like, you know what, these are kind of some, some private things, whether it's more like, you know, hygiene kind of related things that, that I want to, I want to keep to myself to keep our marriage in a certain state or certain space. So that's all I meant by that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that hygiene is actually a really good example of something that is private and it can be kept to yourself. You know, like you'll hear of the first time somebody, you know, pees in front of their partner or whatever. And, (laughs) and sometimes that's just not necessary. And you said to the to keep the spark alive, it's right. maybe better left unsaid. <laughs> yeah. Or undone, I guess, in that case. Yeah. And maybe not for some people, but I have worked for Tony Robbins for a bit, um, coaching his clients. And to quote him, something he said was, if you treated your relationship the way you did at the beginning, there would never be an end. So I think kind of going off of, of these examples it sort of relates back to that quote. Maybe there's something to be said about that in certain areas. In certain areas, of course, because if you're both committed to continually growing, then we can't necessarily stay um, within the first part of our relationship. Uh, A personal experience of mine is like, somebody was hesitant to get into a relationship because they were afraid of losing certain freedoms that they had. You know, Mm -hmm. like seeing friends whenever they wanted to, or it was kind of like on their terms, you know? Mm-hmm. And my counterpoint, not that I was arguing a point or anything like that, mm-hmm. because everyone's perspective is valid to themselves, but I believe that there's a whole lot more freedom in a long-term relationship than outside of one. And the mm-hmm. reason I say that now and today in our conversation is because mm-hmm. when we're not authentically telling our partner the truth or telling ourselves the truth, then mm-hmm. there will be that anxiousness in our stomach and like an ill feeling. Yeah. And it'll just eat away at us until we actually address that with ourselves or with our partner. Right. Right. Yeah. I can really relate to the person that you were speaking to. And, and my husband very much knows this because I even built it into the vows that I wrote that um, he allowed me freedom in a relationship because I had been, freedom's really important to me as well. I, I enjoyed being single. You know, I, was, I liked dating, but I also enjoyed being single because I would travel all the time and go out whenever. And there are things I, I miss about that. Um, and that being said, I'd been in relationships where I felt like my freedom was a little bit trapped. Like either the person I was with was a little bit manipulative or a little bit controlling just or jealous, you know, different things that didn't allow that for me. Um, and actually what most attracted me to my husband, which maybe would help the person you were speaking to, is um, like not all relationships maybe allow the freedom that she's looking for. But I was attracted to my husband because I realized I actually had tried to break things off with him in the first few months. And he was so like, okay. You know, it wasn't like, I'm going to control her. I'm going to manipulate her to get her back. Or it was nothing like that. It was just like, I want you to be happy. Great. Like, let's still be friends. You still want to meet at the dog park next week. I was like, well, what? Like, like he allowed me my freedom. And when I realized that I was like, this is the person because I feel the stability of a relationship, but I still feel free with the authenticity of our relationship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like that when 
uh, a secure person can say that to their partners. Like, yeah, you know what? I accept you for who you are and I'm not attached to the outcome that I had built up in my mind over the first mm-hmm. two or three months. And, right. um, being a part of the authenticity of a modern relationship is, is managing your own expectations. And mm-hmm. a lot of that has to do with this imagery that we've built up in our minds of how it's supposed to go. Yeah. We're supposed to look right. Yeah. yeah. And, and an expectation of how it's supposed to feel too. Yeah, like, yeah. It's not always going to be a slap you upside the head kind of stars and fireworks on the first date. Right. Sometimes you actually have to grow into that because of um, maybe the guard that you and your husband each had, or mm-hmm. um, it was just simply a growing into spending time with another person who's new to you. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think actually, I love that point that you made. I think that's so true. And I share this all the time because in the days of swipe apps, we're, we're looking so quickly for that attraction, right? Like, or that chemistry on the first date. So I have that question a lot. Like, how should I know if I should go out on a second date? And my answer is usually like, give it a chance. Like, unless you really know, like something was really off for you, like give it a chance because you don't really know. You know, I had dated plenty of people in the past that I thought were attractive. Maybe there's sparks on the first date. They wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been the right relationship for me or it went nowhere. Um, and with my husband, it was one of the first relationships that, you know, if we had been on swipe apps, I don't think I would have picked him to be, to be honest. Like he, he wasn't my type. I hope he's not listening to that and takes this, you know, as a negative, but he knows, um, but he wasn't necessarily my type and it wasn't like fireworks on the first date, but there was something deeper. Like I knew that even on the first times we hung out, there was something deeper and it was a friendship, kind of a, da- a friendship, but also starting to date a little bit for the first few months. So it was the first time I started a relationship in that way that I didn't feel like I'm going to win this person or they're going to woo me and it's all sparks and fireworks. It was more just like this, this deeper comfort um, that built, really built the attraction. So I had to, like you said, I had to open up myself and I had to grow into that with my husband. Um, so yeah, I totally agree. And if you're someone who like judges right away from a photo or the first date, you know, I would really urge you to like, you can grow into that attraction. You can feel more attractive to someone than you would ever expect after longer than you might expect as well. Mm -hmm. And that's how we kind of can begin to understand that there is lasting love as a possibility because sometimes the attraction, well, people change appearances over, over time we age and I'm Mm -hmm. 39 now and I don't look the same (laughs) as I did. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I just look different, you know, and, um, and my energy is different and the things that I attract into my life are different. So mm-hmm. uh, what is, um, what's one of my favorite, uh, Esther Perel talks about if you're willing to marry this person eight times over, because that's about how many times they're going to change You'll have to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> in a 60 or 70 year relationship, then, mm-hmm. then that's the person. But if you're unwilling to grow and to continuously evolve with another person, then don't settle and don't stay in that average at best relationship just because of an attraction to looks or to status or to material items or right where they et cetera. I hadn't heard that by, by Esther. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. She was in an interview on, um, Dax Shepard's podcast, I believe is where I heard that. 
Uh, it's a very Dak Shepard, the one who's married to um, Kristen Bell. Kristen Bell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they do not have a Hollywood marriage, and he is definitely transparent about it on his podcast. And in what I, ways? I just, I'm curious. I love the reality that they live in because, huh. you know, he's open about his addiction and he's open about self sabotage, and he's he's very self aware now. Mm-hmm. And without that self awareness, their marriage never would have lasted. But I enjoy listening to his podcast so much because it's really insightful for somebody who got his start in Hollywood the way that he did through uh, mm-hmm. Jackass, I think is where it came from, but, uh-huh. or the MTV show of just yeah. skateboarding and things like that, but uh, really insightful. So I recommend his re- expert on expert podcast to a lot of people. Okay. I'll have to check it out. I didn't mm-hmm. know about that. And she might've actually brought that up as a point to her book, uh, Mating in Captivity. Hmm. Okay. If we dive deeper into that book, Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. that's one of the big influences in my life beyond Brene Brown and, and a few others. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I haven't read that book to be honest. I I've seen a few of her Ted talks though. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think things like that though, you know, her Ted talks that I'd love to read that book, um, really fuel. It sounds like what your mission is and this and, and aligns with my mission of what it really means to have these kinds of evolving relationships in today's modern world. Mm. Yeah. We have so many outside influences and mm-hmm. a lot of the real life daters that we bring onto the podcast and ask them how it's going in their world. They, they reference fear as something that holds people back. They reference mm-hmm. social media and the comparison of others lives yeah. to their own mm-hmm. as a huge detriment to the success in their personal relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I could definitely understand that and agree with that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if there's something that we haven't touched on yet, uh, that you feel like would be really important for our listeners to know, mm-hmm. what would that be? Hmm. That's a good question. Relationship based, I'm assuming. Or life-based. I mean, or life-based. <laughs> we are definitely the principles of, of life. And we touch on that. Uh, a married yeah. friend of mine actually uh, gave me one of the most amazing compliments uh, a week and a half ago or so. She and I have known each other 14 years. And uh, she said, Dave, I was hesitant to listen to your podcast because I've been married for six or seven years and I have a five-year-old son and you know, I wanted to support you. So I started listening and she was bedridden after surgery and stuff. So she had the free time, but she started listening and she said, these are principles for life, not just mm-hmm. dating to you know, get off an app or to get into a relationship because that's what we want. But but we we do know that the foundation of, of a lot of the mm, past patterns that we see arise, they come from relationships and that's why we focus on it so much as kind of like an introduction to the rest of their life. I totally agree. Absolutely. Okay. So two things that come up that I'll share around fear and a positive mindset. Um, a story I've shared before on a podcast about my husband, because it stood out so much to me in my mind when we were just together for those first few months. So I was just coming from Boston and he was heading to Boston. So I was in a spiral in my mind. Like we were in a relationship at this point, things were going well, but it wasn't at the point where we're like, we're, you know, we're going to get married. I'm definitely going to move with you. So I was spiraling, which was something I've tended to do. And I was spiraling into the negative of like, saying everything that started with what if I'm like, well, what if it doesn't work? And what if this, and what if that, I was just freaking out. And he looked at me and just said, and what if everything turns out perfectly? 
And it was such a light bulb moment. Like I have said these what if questions all my life, but I never realized that I always said them into the, into the fear and that you can use this, those same questions. You can say what if to yourself in terms of the opposite of fear. Like what if everything is working out exactly as it should? What if I am discovering the right relationship for me, you know, in time? So that's one tool. It's not really a tool, but in some ways, you know, it's one simple thing that really stood out to me of shifting into that positive, not fear-based mindset when it comes to relationships in life. The second thing is if you're dating or in a relationship and fear comes up or in life in general, just feel your feelings. Like we go on dating apps and get addicted. We watch Netflix, we drink wine, we go shopping, we do a million things, even meditate sometimes to avoid feeling anxiety, sadness, fear, rejection, all those things. But when you allow yourself to actually feel it, and I know people ask me, well, what does that mean? And what I mean is just, it's simple. Just drop the story about what you're telling yourself in your head. Maybe close your eyes for a sec and just feel your heart racing, feel your stomach churning, feel the tightness in your throat, whatever physical feeling it is, it needs to be felt. It wants, it's craving to be felt. And when you just give yourself that opportunity to feel what's coming up rather than hiding or running for it, it will usually go away and it's not nearly as scary as you think it's going to be. It's the anticipation of rejection, for example, that's far worse than just feeling what's actually happened when you've experienced rejection. Mm -hmm. So start feeling your feelings. Don't be so afraid of them. And and I promise the fear will, will get better, get easier. Mm -hmm. The, the acronym of fear face everything and run (laughs) Or uh-huh. feel everything and rise. Mm. Um, it's something that is always in the back of my mind because the fear of starting a business or the fear of taking the leap of asking out a crush I've had on for seven years, you know, and mm-hmm. um, she's told me no a few times before that. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's just one example from the last mm-hmm. year or so. And I won't run. Mm-hmm. You know, at, it's almost like I'm oblivious to the consequences if I face everything and rise. Mm-hmm. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. So face everything and rise is mm-hmm. what you choose to make as the acronym. Absolutely. Yeah. Instead That's of fear cool. or instead of uh, face everything and run. Maybe it's yeah. feel everything and rise. Feel everything and rise. <laughs> feel everything and rise. <laughs> yes. I mean, when you're facing your fears, you definitely want to face it head on um, as opposed to skirting the issue. And um, I believe that there's a whole lot healthier and more authentic uh, self-worth and self-respect that comes from that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You have to build it, right? You have to build that self-respect from self. Oh, it's certainly not innate. That's right. Facing those fears. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if uh, your message resonates with people, uh, what's the best way to get for them to get a hold of you? Yeah. So just head to my website, alexismeads.com. I have lots of um, great resources on there. If you want to go directly to alexismeads.com forward slash gift, I do have a little downloadable gift on there for you. So you'll just enter your email and I'll send three videos to your inbox. Um, and they're each kind of just mini digestible lessons on a lot of the things that we talked about and overcoming those fears in dating and, and moving towards the right relationship. Yep. I signed up a few weeks Great. ago, so I'm still getting your emails. Awesome. <laughs> and what do you say in the next six to 12 months? We just follow up and we say, um, Hey, it'd be great to hear where you're at 
then. And if there's any updates, then we can share it with our community. And I really appreciate your time. Yeah, that sounds great, Dave. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. Thank you so very much.